three, two, one. Perfect timing. <laughs> Sorry, buddy. Hello, and you're listening to Let's Drone Out. And special thank you to our lovely patrons that help donate so that we can pay the editor to remove the swear words and silly things we say. Massive thank you to... Carlos Campos. Art Faulkner. Sam Dharma. On with the show. Let's drone out. Hello, and you're listening to Let's Drone Out. Uh, tonight, we are joined by everyone's favourite, Curry Kitten. Hello. And everyone's favourite moustache, Stephen. Good evening. And everyone's favourite, gob I'm bright until I fly. Hello. And Stephen, you're starting us well. off with a hot topic. This week, we thought we'd talk about, instead of dividing opinion by talking about things some people own and things some people don't, thought maybe we'd go for something that everyone owns, I think, on this show. Um, a vendor that we've literally all bought into at one time or another. Myself, Jack and Curry. I can say with some confidence we all own their kit. We've all used it. We've all had some great flying days with it in the past as well. But uh, things have gotten a little bit interesting for them. Uh, and... Uh, there was a show that happened recently where one of their reps was talking to Bruce and a few others and uh, just highlighted a few topics that I thought we could go over. So the topic of the show is one that tracks the rise and change of FR Sky, a company who really represented FPV when it shot to popularity 2014, 2015, 16. Who, who then tried to do some very curious things, built an empire, threw the empire away, and, and now seem in a strange position to be annoyed and convinced that that was everyone else's fault. So thought we'd kind of drill drill into that and maybe the, the guys here can start talking about like when they first came across FR Sky Kit, because I gather it was quite an eye-opener when it arrived. Mm. And it was it was even... Before then, I think when I first started NFPV in 2012, before the Tyrannis, there was the FreeSky module. And back then, uh, guys that were doing FPV, they were all buying um, secondhand Fatabas. These were like 35 meg-based Fatabas, which are really nice quality radios to hold. And they were fitting the internal FreeSky mods. And back then, we were using things like the, I think it was D8... Um, or D8R2 or something like that, which was like an eight-channel receiver, had twin... Um, D4R2. Antennas. The D4R2 is the smaller one, which you'd use in quads, mm. in, in fixed yeah. wings, the, the, the D8. Yeah, D8R2, the, the, the yeah. D4 was, was used in quads back when you could um, you could change it to PPM. And it's like, oh, my God, you don't have to use individual servo cables. You can use PPM. This is amazing. we we'll use this forever. That, uh, that D8R2 got me to, like... Um, three and a half kilometers in a plane, really good. They had T 
telemetry, which was the first thing. Now, back in the day, because um, one of my first radios was the the Turnergy 9X, and you fit the module, and then the module beeps at you. So it's like, beep means you're starting to lose telemetry. Beep, beep, it's like you're getting further away. Three beeps is like it's critical, turn around. And that was before the days of having like RSI on the screen. That was amazing. If you'd used the, the Fly Sky kit, which a lot of us started out with, you didn't you didn't get any warning. You just crashed if it went out of range. Mm. It's just like splat on the floor. So this was this was amazing stuff. And when the um the Tyrannus came out, it was like because if even buying like a secondhand Futaba radio was really, really expensive. Um Free Sky came along, released the Tyrannus, and prior to that, the, the 9X was good if you did the modifications and you got ER9X on it before um thingy, Go, going back a bit out? further to, to when these guys were frisky did any of you guys use their original products define the original products i think they these were the fast compatible receivers because what fr sky doesn't like people to remember is that they actually got their start cloning fataba for receivers uh doing the fast receivers Oh right, no, I didn't. I guess some people might have if they were back far enough. Which makes the rest of the tale get like from a normal level of irony to just meteoric levels of irony. Yeah, those that, and I've still I've still got some of. Um, oh yeah, not, not so much the CRs, but yeah, some of these guys I had. Unfortunately, oh, the they are part. really similar. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes, it, it it's it becomes a kettle. Hot black thing, yeah, yeah. Before before OpenTX, there was ER9X, which was a replacement firmware for your um, Turnergy 9X radio or similar 9X. But when the Tyrannus came out, it's, it's pretty much like it, it blew everything away because it had all these switches, it had rotary dials, it had gimbals, it had a screen. Um, it would run uh, OpenTX as it was then, and very similar to ER9X. And it was like, oh my god. This is amazing. It had a, a built-in module, so you didn't have to add anything to it. Yeah, um, and and a you, could, you could do a lot with it. And and they were the, I think, the FPV radio for several several years. It's all mm. anybody had. Yeah, and and a proper usable screen. I guess a lot of radios back then would have been the cheap ones. Wouldn't have had screens as well, right? Um. I suppose before before that you you had like the Fataba and the Spectrum stuff. They were sort of it wasn't they didn't have screens. It was they they were very sort of set in their ways. It's like you had like a picture of a little plane come up, and then this button would make it change something, and then all the switches were allocated to certain things, yeah. and you couldn't. Change it wasn't customizable then. You it, just it had to use like their model, and that was it. Yeah, exactly. And, Your whole and flying some... club had exactly the same model. Bang on! Some people still don't like the fact that you could do any button to any button, which which none of us get. But yeah, that that was that was the revolution. It's like you could set it up exactly how you wanted. The range was really good. Um, as soon as the XM Plus came out, and we're moving on a few years now, that was like the quad receiver. Mm. Um, decent range. You had um, S Bus, which back in the day before. People like um, Express RS said, "This is legacy." 
it was amazing. It, it was very fast. Um, it was very small. You still got a really good range from it. Really easy to install. And for FPVers, it did cool tricks like output the channel strength on one of your uh, one of your outputs so that you yeah. could hook it into on, your OSD. On channel 16, you had the RSSI. So the first thing you did once you got it out the bag was have to flash it, which was a whole another interesting thing about how to plug it in the back of your radio mm -hmm. and do the flashing. And if you didn't have a Tyrannus like me, because I had a, a deviation handset, I have a USB PC dongle that I use to flash these the s port adapter that like hardly anyone bought and you have to use a little utility and power on the receiver at just the right moment and then click flash within like five seconds to get the flash going that was always a challenge fun times it was almost worse the free sky um flash module thing because you had to then buy a diode um board that i don't know inverted a signal or something and um, you had to load up the the uh, the bin file, connect it uh, only when it's ready to load for it to then flash. It was a nightmare. Speaking sorry, of sorry. inverters, that the whole FR Sky experience is somewhat mired by their use of inverters everywhere, rather yeah. than just outputting signal in in the format that the other end expects it to be, they seem to always insist on an inverter. I'm never quite sure why that's happened. Yeah, I remember actually, even on their receivers, when it said, it, it would say inverted, it would mean normal because all of FreeSky signals are inverted. So and actually, if it's yeah. labeled inverted, it means it's not inverted because FreeSky yeah. thinks everything should be inverted, weirdly. And, it's, and it had this nonsense situation where you couldn't, connect it to like an F4 flight controller unless you had a special built-in inverter on one of the pads, which meant when F-port came along and it needed an inverted TX and you had to run that half duplex, that pretty much no one was able to use F-port because unless you had an F3 or an F7 with like software programmable inversion, most people had F4s, you, you weren't able to, to use it unless you had one of very few flight controllers that bothered to put an inverter on one of the TX pads as well. Yes, which is why they started releasing receivers with an inverted and a non-inverted pad on yeah. it. Bizarre. And, and that's what made me actually go outside the FR Sky ecosystem. I think I had 14 or 15 XM Pluses installed in various quads at one point. Um, and I ended up buying Oversky F6 receivers because they were compatible with FR Sky but they could do F-port without inverting it. So you could just plug it into a normal TX line and it would work on any F4 flight controller and you'd get all your telemetry and stuff. Yeah, but it wasn't it wasn't F-port that screwed them, was it? It was their response no. to Crossfire appearing. I think I think this comes first. We haven't we haven't researched this properly, but in no, we have to go back a little bit further to really discuss like what tripped them up, and it, it was fundamentally like so their pop, their protocol got popular, and Pascal the whatever who does the multi protocol, the multi protocol uh, guy, actual, he figured it out, and he submitted this spec that used a CC twenty five hundred chip to work with their fast sky kit, and you'd expect them to be happy because all of a sudden there's 
a ton of more ton more hardware in their ecosystem and they're becoming the dominant force in the industry and there's basically no one using anything but their code but they saw this as as an attempt at cloning again kind of rich because a few years previous to that barely only three or four years they were making their start by cloning Fataba um, and copying their protocol but they really hated this and so they 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 kind of complained and and that there was a a, a, a tried to bully radio master and bully jumper and they would go to stockists who sold fr sky kit and threaten to not deal with them unless they refused to stop stocking radio master and jumper and and basically tried to bully the competitors and the cloners out of the market instead of saying oh wow our protocol is taking on the likes of crossfire it's going to become ubiquitous they thought well our protocol equals our models and they can go and make their own protocols which in the long run has proved to be not the correct response i would say in terms of revenue <laughs> okay mm. i was at the time that i couldn't remember which bit came first so the first bit is then they got upset about the clones because there were lots of you, you were literally buying i remember uh, i was talking about this to andy rc not long ago and there was a time where we were getting like a couple of quads through the door every week from lights and mm. gear best and um, yeah. Banggood, and they always had some free sky compatible receiver in it and it was just a ready to fly yeah anyway the radio was good but the radios and not the people weren't spending the 15 quid on each receiver but when they spent a couple of hundred quid it was always the genuine fr sky radio they were going for i was very much yeah, the, there were the no, odd there one were out. no clone radios just clone receivers mm. at this point yeah. And it was it was mostly, it it was all D eight, wasn't it? I don't remember being a, a huge number of D sixteen clones. I think some came along later, but at, at the beginning it was D eight receivers. Yeah, Radio Master were the people who had the little run in with the D sixteen mode. Yeah, so D eight was the one that came out originally with that the multiple multi protocol module Furori. And um, and D sixteen was only added much later, uh, and this would get to be something of uh, a, a sign of things to come, I guess, because after moving from D eight to D sixteen to try and reduce cloning and and make them more sophisticated and not documenting their protocol, FR Sky seized on this as kind of the way to take control of the market, um, a move which would kind of repeatedly backfire on them, I think. It was an interesting thing because at that point, as far as FPVs and quads were going, everyone was already using D16 because they were using the X-series receivers, which were D16-based. So it was not like FreeSky were losing loads of business. It's like, oh, all our all our X or all our D8 receivers, receivers selling were because they really weren't selling the them. They were they were selling the um, the the XM pluses or the the X8s. Yeah. Or the the L9Rs. I've still got a couple of those, the long range mm. receivers. I remember the XM Pluses routinely being out of stock in the UK and having to, you know, have a couple on back order from Banggood and other places. Yeah, they were hard to get because they were so popular. So, and the timeline wise, I'm trying to think of the catastrophic things. One of which was obviously V2 of the firmware. One was Crossfire not working well with the radios on purpose. And the other is the the R nine mm. battle. Which which came first in the timeline? Do we know? 
Well, I think that that Crossfire thing is an interesting one. Whether they made a bad radio and it didn't work with Crossfire or whether they saw Crossfire and purposefully made a slower radio that wouldn't work with Crossfire, it's, it's I hard think to it's say. that one. Because if you've got... For example, this came about when the... Uh, is it the X7? The great big white one? The, mm. Q, 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 the X7. kind of angular one. I, I had one of those, one of the very first ones. I don't know if it was a prototype or what, and that worked fine. That would work on the full rate, and I think NJ had the same thing. It's like, well, this is fine. It works for me. By the time it got to public release, suddenly it, it wasn't working mm. at full rate. So you have to think, did they not want people using Crossfire? Again, people were buying the radio. This was the radio to have. And, and if we just pause and drill them. down on that, that the cause was that they used an essentially cheaper and less capable inverter, which wouldn't cope with fast signal transition. So it, it would smooth off the top of those signal peaks, which meant that fast board rates just didn't work. It just smooched them all out. So the fast signals wouldn't work properly, right? Yeah. Um, and yeah, so, so it seemed kind of deliberate. And it was kind of like, I don't understand why. Why are they actively discouraging people to use Crossfire on their radios? You even had TBS saying, mm. oh, yeah, Tyrannus, great radio, until it started not working, which is, I guess, when they decided to launch the R9 system and you sort of start to figure out why they were so anti-Crossfires because they wanted to push their own thing along. Mm. Um, yeah, so the R9 was an interesting thing. Uh, did did everyone have an R9? Because, of course, what they did... I did not. No, is, I, I missed it. You're one of the few, because... Basically, um, Crossfire was, what, 100-so quid or yeah. something? And they decided they were going to launch, or some sometime into early R9, they said, this you can have it for 30 quid. 30 quid a module, something along those lines. You can get it. The, the receivers are very cheap. So lots of people went out and bought it. And what they tried to do is get into a price war to try and bump Crossfire out of... Uh, of the ecosystem completely and just replace everything with their R9. The, the problem they had is they really didn't support it very well. They didn't talk to the users. They didn't... Mm. Um, you could tell them... And for a brief moment, I was actually talking to people in FreeSky and sort of feeding back issues I was having. I did quite a lot of videos on the R9 and saying, oh, if you if you made things a bit more public and said, you're recognising these are the problems and these are what's going to be fixed in the next update, then mm. I think you'd get a lot lot better reaction from it. And they just said, no, no, we know what we're doing. We're just, the update right. will come and the update will come. We're not going to tell you what's in the update. We're just going to say there's an update. And, our, well, so Crossfire bad. are a little bit guilty of that as well. They do a little bit of that magician sort of mystery show, don't they? It's not uncommon. They do, but... When when you're new and yeah, you've got to you're not yourself. particularly well documented and people are reporting problems to you, then I think you've got to say, mm-hmm. oh, we've noticed there's this problem. We're going to fix it. And this was still and, S-Port based, right? It still had the inverters and everything? It was both S-Port and uh, did R9 came along. I'm trying to think where Axis came. Yes, when R9 launched, I think... It was S-Port. It might have been F-Port as well, but it was based on ACCST. 
which was mm-hmm. which was their system. S port is unidirectional. F port was a half duplex bidirectional. Yeah, one more. R9N is the name of the receiver. Yeah, that, well, they had a bunch of receivers. They even there was a mini out I think, was the into R9 having M. flight controllers with an R9 receiver in it. So for a while they were doing flight controllers there. I know because I broke one. Yeah, whilst trying to and, review and- it. What Curry was saying about listening to the community really resonated me because with me because this discussion with Bruce the other night, the FR Sky guy was saying that, oh, they absolutely want to hear from the community and they want to get people's opinion. But if there's one thing that stands out like a sore thumb in all of this is that FR Sky did what FR Sky wanted to do and then they went and tried to sell it. And at no point did that information flow go in the opposite direction. It was always... We've made this. Now you buy it. Pretty much, it's just like this is what it is. Go, go, sort it out. And there were lots of things that didn't seem to. Either it wasn't working, or it didn't work as expected, and it was hard to tell what was expected because it wasn't documented correctly. They shipped them with very poor whip style antennas. The RSSI was jumped all over the place so you didn't really know what your signal strength was you were never really sure what rssi meant i remember this is very much a factor of fr sky oh. where you knew if our rssi went below a certain level you could be in trouble but you were never mm. really sure what that number represented in a exactly so in my testing as well you had rssi for a channel just like the xm pluses you also got telemetry rssi in and I looked at both. I think I had a video where I looked at both numbers at the same time. So I had my my chesty filming my radio, mm. showing the the telemetry whilst on screen, and these were completely different numbers. And I was like, "Well, wh- what's going on? Which is which?" And I'd flown the RSSI down to like six single figures, and still had control. And it, I kind of think, "Well, what's a good RSSI and what's a bad RSSI?" Because yeah. six. You normally think it's on the floor. On a normal 2.4 receiver, when it drops under 40, pretty much you've lost signal. But when you get down to like single figures, you're like, well, I don't really understand what's yeah. going on here. I remember 40 was always the danger zone with XM pluses. Like you knew it was about to get bad if you got down to 40. Yeah, that's that's when it gives you a critical uh, warning for a. Well, that was just a signal. transmitter call out, wasn't it? I mean, yeah, yeah. But that's the, that's again, like the default. Yeah, the the default call. So you, you and this is perhaps something we could point to Express LRS as like pulling back the curtain on this stuff because they've said, oh well, actually, what what matters is the number of packets arriving, and as long as you've got enough that the FC can respond, then your link is essentially active, and so your link quality is the percentage of packets that are actually arriving, and RSSI is is now well, tends to be measured in decibels per meter, and, and you're looking at the strength of the signal, so the measured strength. The only thing that you've got to worry about is what the noise floor is, because if that signal is above the noise floor, you're good, and if it goes below the noise floor, you've got a little bit of margin on LoRa for chirp spread spectrum, but your FHSS or whatever, you don't. Um, so it's it's all kind of what your link budget is above that RSSI value. And I think with FR Sky, you kind of got an indication of how strong the received signal was, but you didn't really know about the environment you're flying in. So if you're flying around a bunch of Wi-Fi or cell towers or something, things could go horribly wrong very quickly because 
you didn't have a clue as to what the rest of the noise in the environment was like. Yeah, it, you could go from what looked like a strong signal to RX loss without mm. anything in between. Yeah. Um, I mean, it, it, it's kind of like you got used to knowing what a bad signal was based on a number without really But knowing. you did that through experience by flying a location yes, several times. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So that... The problem with R9 was not the fact that R9 was an inherently bad system. I mean, it was based on similar hardware to Crossfire. Um, after they launched it and got into this big war with free, um, Crossfire, they they didn't seem to do anything. It's just like, oh, ignore that. In fact, let's have let's have a new version of it, which will use this new access protocol. And mm. I guess this is where we come into yeah. access and ACCT or yeah. ACCST so if, version two. If we can go to the just the, the similar hardware, the Crossfire. It was actually incredibly similar. The radio chip was uh, a Semtec SX twelve seven six in both. So the radio uh, kind of modulator w- was was the same in both. The difference was FR Sky used ST microelectronics parts to control it, whereas over in uh, TBS land on Crossfire, they used microchip parts. So on one hand, ST microelectronics and the other microchip. And actually, ST microelectronics in the long run was the better solution. It's massively more popular, whereas microchip's kind of a, a closed ecosystem and pay-to-play Um but that contributed in, in other interesting ways to R9 in the future, which we'll, we'll get to in, in a little bit later, I guess. The, there was one other difference there, that where Crossfire was a little bit more forward-looking and FreeSky said it, it, it was, but it, it, it wasn't. Um, essentially, Crossfire had larger amounts of flash memory on their receivers, which meant they could flash over the air. Now, FreeSky mm. promised when R9 launched that it would do over-the-air updates, um, so we're like, oh, that'd be good because then we won't have to like plug them in and mess around because messing with firmware and having to dig yeah. them back out of your quads was really annoying. But it turned out that they they realised they didn't have the flash memory and they wanted the flash memory in case the flashing went wrong. It would basically go back to the the original yeah. one. Yeah. Um, and they had to launch a completely separate receiver, which was called like the R9MM OTA, which stood for over the air because that had more flash memory and could handle it. So all the stuff that people bought with the promise of being able to flash over right. the air wouldn't work. So, yeah, just for our listeners, generally, um, with most computers, if you're dealing with a remote system, you have this kind of dual partition stuff. You see it a lot in network kit. You've got an A partition and a B partition. When you boot off one of them, you update the other. And if that update fails, you haven't trashed the working image. So you can fail, fail, fail. Eventually, you get a complete copy, and then you can try and boot into it. And if the boot goes okay, you nuke the the old one, and that's now your upgrade partition for the next upgrade. Right? Yeah. Just as a roundup. <laughs> so, so in the timeline, this sounds about the time where they suddenly went a little bit crazy for all the toys out of the pram. Um, aside from the fact they introduced access, they used it as this weird excuse to say, oh, you know that firmware you've been using on your radios for the last eight years? There's a critical problem. It's very serious. 
you all need to update to mm. version 2 of ACCST. P.S. It's not compatible with any oh, of the I think the versions. critical problem was it would sometimes cause servos to hit the extremes, except no one saw it except for two FR Sky testers. No, no one ever saw this. This this was the, the largest pile of bollocks ever ever produced. How they how they had the front I never to, saw it. <laughs> to suggest this as uh, I mean it's literally there in the release notes. It's like this addresses a serious problem where this this could hurt you. You need to upgrade yeah. to this. It, it was a really badly disguised malicious. attempt, yeah. uh, very malicious, at trying to produce this um, encrypted version of firmware that would stop uh, all the cloning, which they were suddenly terrified of and wanted to stop. But at, at that point, they really did upset their user base because people had oodles of uh, older older receivers and they didn't want to lose access to it and... Then they were, at that point, they were producing their new access radios, their new protocol, and they were saying, oh, by the way, this doesn't work on D8. It will work on D16. We we really suggest you run too. I think for a while, they actually removed the images so you couldn't get the earlier So They made versions. this critical assumption that everyone was absolutely on board with them, and if they said jump, the community would say how high. And when it push came to shove, people would just turned around and went, "You what? You, but I've got all this stuff that I can't upgrade. I've got like two hundred pounds of receivers in all these wings that are only D eight capable, and I can't upgrade. And you're telling me that to buy this one new receiver, I should throw away all these others." And people essentially just went, "No," because they, the, the the retailers still had. D16 kit with ACST and at this point clones were starting to emerge for D16 as well yeah and this this is where literally FreezeGuide developed a gap in the market for other vendors to come in and say hey we've developed a radio mm-hmm. it has a multi-protocol module and you can you can use it with FreezeGuide you can use it with Spectrum you, you use it with whatever and it'll just work mm. And, it, and uh, we, several months after the launch of Access, uh, the multi-protocol mod, a module project announced that they supported not just D16, that they called FR Sky D, uh, not just D8, they called FR Sky D. Um, they also supported uh, D16, which I think is down as FR Sky X. And they also added support for Access with FR Sky X2, I believe. Um, yeah. So... But no one was using it anyway, so it was fairly pointless because everybody's like, I don't want this. I think we had a quick poll amongst ourselves, didn't we, and said, has Mm. anybody actually used a regular 2.4 access receiver? And there was this, you know, a couple of tumbleweeds blew along and nobody did it. I set one up one time yesterday to test FR Sky X2 range test it on an SPI receiver. That's another story. Um, But... Yeah, it was a terrible range, and that's the only time I've used it. Everything else is still running ACST in D16 or, or some old D8 receivers. Yeah. I I used Access on the R9, the new R9, to test it out and did an over-the-air update. I was most annoyed, and I know you're going to come to this bit later. After I updated that to ELRS, that's when I found out that FreeSky did their own over-the-air 
thing with a special chip and it wasn't Wi-Fi and you couldn't there was no Wi-Fi chip to update. I was I was most miffed. It's like, what's wrong with these people? Why don't they just have a Wi-Fi chip like everybody else? You have to use their own stupid system to update it. This episode was recorded in front of a live online audience, downloaded and edited to make sense when it's played audio only, censored to please the iTunes people, hosted on the internet, forwarded through to your podcast provider, downloaded, playing on your device, and is now playing in your ears, all thanks to our Patreons. Consider joining them and you'll also get other online benefits. Find out more at patreon.com forward slash let's drone out. Yeah, um, so I, I think I mentioned that I bought a bunch of clone receivers, so I'm just going to share this. What what really amused me was, let's put this on another screen in fact, was that the the docks for the clone receivers were just so much better than the docks that I was getting with my FR Sky kit. Um, this one, it supported SBUS and F-Port. Um, it supported inverted or uninverted F-Port because, hey, why not? It, 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 it had 20 dBm output uh, for the telemetry, which my FR Sky kit couldn't do. Um, yeah, did up to sixteen channel and 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 all this this crazy stuff. Um, it worked uh, just fine. They, they even produced graphs to show how it worked. And the FR Sky would just not show any of this stuff whatsoever. Um, and so it really made me think, why am I buying the FR Sky stuff? Like, look, oh, here's it's a diagram. We put it through a scope just to show you how it works. Isn't that nice? Mm-hmm. This is the manual for it. The FR Sky manuals were were not as complete as this. Um, Yeah, which is kind of amusing. I mean, I suppose the interesting thing is as well that I believe FreeSky massively funded the OpenTX project for quite a, a long time. And they got quite upset when other vendors wanted to make their radios like OpenTX compliant. So for a while, I think you had other vendors using their own version uh, of a fork of OpenTX. And they had to say things like, this is not officially supported by OpenTX and things like that. I think the flip side now is that with these Ethos handsets, uh, apparently FR Sky feels that they've paid their dues with EdgeTX and they don't need to pay for support for anything anymore, which is interesting because I think that's, you know, that money has long since evaporated and paid for test equipment and website hosting and things. Um, but yet they, they feel they've paid their dues and, and they shouldn't have to pay anything more to support OpenTX or EdgeTX, which is uh, it's an interesting stance. And I think we'll probably seeing how that pans out <laughs> with the new tandem so, handsets. So this, this great has been our, support. This has been our quick summary of the sort of rise and fall, if you like, of... Um, Free Sky, but the reason this came up is you watched that um, uh, podcast or live stream or whatever, yeah. and it was about a rep in the US who who there's basically mm. a US representative of Free Sky. Uh, they ha- they don't seem to have learned their lesson. What 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 did you get out of watching that? Well, there was a lot that went on there. To be fair, and this guy it seemed like a nice guy. He's very personable, uh, a sales marketing sort of tech marketing guy. And and he was of the opinion that they were a nice company and they had a vision and people should buy into it. But the way that's now being executed is apparently not to listen to multi-rotor pilots or even particularly technically adept fixed-wing pilots, but 
the market they're targeting now is very much line of sight pilots uh, who are baby boomers and don't want to configure their hardware. And so FR Sky are now taking this fantastic feature they've built, which is the ability to update receivers over the air. And they're selling that into the classic Spectrum user base and telling them that this is amazing and it's, it's a killer feature and they just have to have it because these users apparently find this very new and novel and wouldn't expect their receivers to do anything like update over the air or host a Wi-Fi access point. So FR Sky developing OTA updates four years too late. For them, it's still new, and they're able to you know, approach a much higher entry price point and charge probably $500, $600 for a radio, which appears to be what they're doing with this very flashy-looking GUI-based radio running EthoS, which is not related to... Uh, OpenTX or EdgeTX at all. It's not compatible with OpenTX models. It's not configured the same way as OpenTX. It's totally and utterly different. It uses an H7 CPU, which isn't currently compatible with EdgeTX. Timeline on that is early 2023, perhaps, if EdgeTX chooses to do it. Um, And it's a completely different market they're going for. So they're not going for technically adept users. They're going for users who have trouble configuring their fixed-wing aircraft, who want ease of use and basic features, and who are going to be impressed with the fact that this thing can fly an aircraft over a mile away, which I think, to be honest, for me at least, I would have thought that was table stakes four years ago. And, And now it's just kind of embarrassing that these are the launch features that they're going for. Uh, it feels very much like they can't impress people, and so they're going to to people who are more easily impressed and trying to make a play for them. And the guy had been driving around the U.S. selling radios, and he was saying he'd sold 17 radios, and this was great, and he'd been to all these flying clubs. And and it's a very different FR Sky to the one which was seen in the hands of pilots as they were, you know, winning multi-GP and showing off brand new hardware, setting times and doing distance records in the past. It's an FR Sky that seems to be going for an altogether different market segment. And and maybe, to be honest, it feels like they're just trying to go for easy prey, Um, having soured of a market that's called them on their BS one too many times, to be honest. I mean, it it is a, probably a a much bigger market than fpv and as as far as i know obviously we're not in the us and we're not part of a flying club there is they tend to have all the same radio when you join a club they're like this is the radio we use get one of these and we'll help you set it up and that's normally tends to be spectrum i believe in the us and of course they they're essentially flying in circuits line of sight so things don't need to have a range and the fact you can update them over the air is kind of meaningless to these guys because it's kind of like well how many how many servo leads can i plug in because i've got two lots of flaps and i've got extra uh tail stuff in in my special jet and i need all this and that as long as it does that they'll be happy but if they can get to a point where because these spectrum radios aren't very cheap you know they come with like a well, never mind spectrum what about jetty stuff they're yeah, trying to put themselves in the same place as jetty so if they get in there and they're like, you can have all these features in this amazing color screen that's touch and stuff, and it's only like five hundred dollars. Mm-hmm. Um, as soon as like flying clubs buy into it, and perhaps retailers buy into it, there are still places you can go and buy radios in like stores. 
mostly Spectrum and Futaba. Really? Uh, yep. Apparently in the US there are still hobby stores. Wow. Go figure. Can't find any in this country. If yeah, you did, I don't think they're, they're generally one. also full of Spectrum and Futaba. I've seen a model the railway store, but nothing, nothing <laughs> that's actually a, a model store stuff. that has anything flying in it. But Stephen, yeah, if, you should if, come down and visit because we've got Sussex Model Centre. Wow. I'm going to go back in time. Come say hello one weekend. One or two bits of pieces from Sussex Model Centre in the past. Maybe some stick ends oh. and things. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, Gary. Carry on. I was saying, yeah, if if they can actually do it and start getting flying clubs to take these on and get retailers to take it on, they can probably have success in their own right. Um, and they can just ignore us as the little fringe weirdo FPV quad pilot people that they don't care about, which I think they've made very apparent on numerous occasions now. Yep, Caroline says in the Lee's model shop, they only sell Spectrum. I was uh, I was doing a video the other day about the, the TX-12 Mark II, the Radio Master one, and uh, I remember Caroline saying this about Spectrum because one of the things I mentioned, because that's quite a nice form factor, it's small, and then you've got the Zorro, which is a game controller, and then you've got stuff like the TX-16 or Tyrannus, which is much bigger. And really, to know what you want to use, you have to go and hold them all. And there's no... You can't go to a shop and do that. Mm. You have to kind of... If you're new to the hobby, it's tricky because you've got to suddenly say, oh, I need to find an FPV meetup or something. And then say, hi, can I hold your radio? And then fiddle about with them and see which feels comfortable. It's really hard to do. Yeah. It's like that with goggles. With what? It was like that with goggles, yeah. The amount of people that... But mini air show, you'd be chatting to Painless, and you know someone would come up to Painless and be like, "Can I try your new goggles, like the 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 O the OLED ones, not the you know to see how they fit?" Because that was like, you know, people were worried because it had like a new mold and stuff. But yeah, he was, you know, the times before COVID. You know, you often had people like going to go, <laughs> you know, to see whether, you know, you'd end up with like, you know, whether your nose fitted or anything. Yeah, it's always I mean, tricky it for, for people like me as well with goggles, because I remember Painter saying, have a look for these. He's like, what do you think? I said, I think it's really blurry because I need to put my minus six diopters in before I can actually see anything. Mm. But it looks bright. Does that help? <laughs> bright and blurry. Yeah, I do wonder what, FOS guy is going to do because to my mind they had a community they built an empire it wasn't the empire they wanted but it was an empire and it would have given them a lot of capital it would have given them political clout it would have enabled them to go and do things but instead they complained that people were looking to them for leadership and they went and did something else instead and and, an FOS guy in that call with Bruce kept saying that they wanted to hear from the community but they've got a community here that's been trying to engage with them for years and, and they just have stuck their fingers in their ears and la 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 their way through it. So it's I wonder what's like, going to happen if a bunch of LOS pilots buy into this and they end up with thousands of users out there asking them to implement some feature that those pilots want, whether FR Sky are going to do the same thing and turn around and say, oh, actually, we know best and, and not do it. Freescar kind of like, we want to hear from the community, not that community. Just this community. It, it's hard yeah. to say. I, I kind of feel like the, the line of sight club pilots are slightly less demanding in terms of what they get. 
get, bearing in mind they're used to the the if you've looked at the sort of basic spectrum radios the the stuff of EFOS that comes along is going like oh my god this is amazing this is the most amazing thing i had essentially you want something that has a timer on it and a trainer port and that's about it uh, and and receivers you know that do lots of channels and perhaps if you've got telemetry with gives you the battery information back that's amazing and they can like look oh, I'm on a battery I should land uh, it seems pretty simple really but yeah. but yeah uh, it it kind of depends what happens but you know it's like they as you said they did have a community uh, albeit FPV is smaller than the sort of the mainstream RC uh, we're pretty passionate community and we, it was very popular and then we told them what we liked and they're like, you don't know what you want. We'll tell you what you want and you go with that. And we're like, maybe we should try yeah. this Radio Master guys, see what they're up to. We're starting to finally see the fruit of that type of advice as the community comes up with its own solutions, which is, which has been an interesting old time. A lot of the you're not going to see how this stuff works is, is starting to go away and the facts are laid bare. And the question then becomes, what do you actually need to see on your radio what do you actually need to know and people discover that by you know sorting through and sifting the information and saying oh well actually this matters this is how i tell whether my signal's good or bad rather than yeah. just uh, here's a number see if it crashes or not <laughs> i think that's the thing i think that the single biggest biggest thing in rc over the last couple of years must be express lrs and the way that has changed absolutely everything i mean there's still People that are on different systems and stuff quite happily, but um, that's that has been uh, very much a game changer for many of us. And the genesis for that to, to really, once they got off the four three three test boards and started putting it in real radios, the genesis for that wasn't the build your own modules. It was people who had R nine modules and were quickly able to flash them over, um, which is very ironic because it's almost the opposite of what FR Sky stood for. That hardware's now gotten a life of its own, and and it's able to do a lot more than it was previously. And it's got updates where users actually know what's been fixed and changed <laughs> in the update. It was so than, nice. Here, take an update. The, after I flashed my one of my R nine modules at least, and then flashed the receiver and flew it, I was like, "Oh, look, the RSSI works. I know what's happening now because it's ELRS. It's not that. It's like hardware was perfectly capable if only you kept mm. developing the software." engage with the community about it then you might have had something decent on your hand but they're like we we're just as good as crossfire and we're cheaper buy all our stuff it doesn't quite work like that yep and then the one bit sampling mode that uh, dominic clifton helped develop uh in htx which gets around some of the inverter problems while it kind of oh, minimizes man. that one bit enables it oh as as jack had problems with one bit mode Mm. You've had edge TX issues, haven't you, Jack? Struggled with that. Yeah, I, you know, I still, I still use Open TX on, on my uh, Tyrannus. To be fair, mm. so I just, you know, I don't, don't really feel the nest, you know, necessary to like buy a uh, Radio Master. You know, the T, is it T sixteen or whatever? Like you know, yeah, I don't use mine a lot to be honest. My latest one's been that I got the Zorro gimbals and put them into a T light 
the not the fancy Zorro gimbals. I got the cheap ass kind of ten pound a pop Zorro gimbals. Put them into this puppy, and um, yeah, it feels really nice now. It, mm. it doesn't feel like a plastic piece of poop. It's nice. Yeah. Andy's baited me into saying something again because he's he's posted. A, a statement here with not just one but two incorrect facts uh, and i just might my, my yeah, i can't let this go even because, i know but there's because more. i've got i've got htx in a tx16s with a bluetooth module and it does bluetooth andy it does bluetooth because i've got it running for wireless telemetry um and elrs now does up to 16 pwm channels so you're all good. Do you mate. have to you buy can, the? Um, I'm just guessing here, but is it like a Maytech breakout board? No. Oh well. Okay. So there's only a few receivers that have a lot of pinouts. That's true. That's that's, that's fair comment. Yeah, because um, he wants full blown. You know, like I want to run servos. It's a radio master who do all the giant. Whoops. Well, what was that? That's my transmitter. We need some new gimbals for Jack and switches, please. <laughs> He's just well, broken them again. They all survived. Yeah, the, the Matek one would be the one that definitely just work. Turn a G9X. I'd get That's mine out, the, it's, yeah. it's in the cupboard of the radios down there, and it's right at the back. But it still works. Um, I, I, haven't, I haven't seen... I asked Radio Master if they were bringing out bigger RXs, and they said they couldn't give me firm, firm. Um, got a lot of five-channel ones. Statement. Oh, but, but um, did you see the RC video reviews? RC video reviews. Oh, about him connecting two. He just straight up used two receivers, <laughs> set them both with the command, the same phrase, went into the Wi-Fi on one, and said, "Right, mate, you're doing channels one, two, three, four, six because five is the arming channel. And then the second one, he's like, right, mate, you're doing channel seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12. And, and then you get your, you just use two receivers. That's the answer. Sorry. It's I was looking around for a 12 channel receiver and you just use two receivers is the answer. I'm, Only I'm one sure of them does telemetry. I'm first, sure first it's going to come. For telemetry. We're, we're going to have 12 and 16 channel receivers. We've already got S bus boards. Uh, from Maytech, uh, it's just a case of the, uh, you want your old style legacy planes to work. I've got I've got my Talon on the wall over there that mm. has got an an uh, what's it got an L nine R that was the long range two point four stuff from Free Sky and that worked pretty well. It got to like six kilometers until I noticed my RSI of one, and then it sort of fail safed and came back again. But because it's got a vector in it and needs more than five PWM channels, I've been waiting a long time to get something that will actually give me an opportunity to replace the receiver properly uh, with something else. Because basically I'd fed the vector with some stuff, but the vector couldn't pass through to my pan. So that was coming from a separate PWM channel. This This is a very specific situation, but there's lots of people in these weird specific situations that are just like, Give us something. Hence, all the people that still keep saying, "Please give us S bus," which isn't going to happen. Which is why you got things like the little Matex converter. 
But for other people, having a whole bunch of PWM channels from a receiver is just going to be like, yay, we can do stuff. So Andy's saying it doesn't work for wireless trainer. I'm trying to find out if that is the case. So I can't remember. You're not calling Andy RC wrong, are you? Wireless telemetry. He must have tried. That's for me. Definitely works on the wireless telemetry. So I'm suspicious. Suspicious. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, Caroline has just mentioned the um, the new uh, Matek F405 VTOL, which uh, Paindus shared on one of his posts, which I find interesting because uh, the the whole VTOL thing's based on some uh, Arduino pilot code, isn't it? It's like, why is there a flight controller for it? It's like, what are they going to do? What's so special about it? I'm 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 hooked on on seeing what happens there. How does yeah? How do you need a VTOL? I don't know. I don't know why you need a VTOL flight controller as opposed to a regular flight controller. That's why. That's why I'm interested to find out. I I, I will watch Lee's upcoming videos with uh, interest. I should do a video. This will make you laugh. Of me, you do a video plugging my ghost module into the back of this and being like trying to fly an old <laughs> transmitter and see how I get on. How are those gimbals doing? So I noticed mine actually started creaking. I was impressed. So if you cut the little um, standoff, shall I say, boss? Yeah. Um, these are these are actually Tyrannus. Normal uh, gimbals from when I upgraded to the Hall Effect gimbals. So, so it'd be interesting to know whether this could accept Hall Effect gimbals. So that'd be quite funny. The difference in uh, the gimbals, like if I plugged in my old 9X now and you let the, the gimbals rest on beta flight, they're sort of the 1500s there and they're like this. And as they warm up a bit more, they start going a bit more. And so you're you set your um, like one of those arcade your games. Dead zone, you've got to like quite, steady the shot quite high. And when you go to mm-hmm. a modern radio with Hall Effect gimbal, if you let the gimbal go, it goes fifteen hundred. Whereas you think it's is it is it stuck, and then you move it again, it goes fifteen hundred dead on, which is quite nice. Yeah, I've just changed everything that didn't have a Hall gimbal onto Hall gimbals. Now I'm like oh, doing dirty pots. Dirty pots are for cheap toys that come with their own radio. I've got many yeah. dirty radios then. I had a bit of a mission trying to put the gimbals into that T-Lite because they've got a different pin-out to the Zorro ones. The Zorro ones come with two three-pin JSTs and the jumper ones come with one four-pin JST in that kind of Pico blade size. And so I had to prise off the glue and resolder them. And that was a bit that was a bit of a mare. They've got like suicidal colour coding as well where the red wire is ground and the yellow wire is power. It's just... <laughs> bananas that's crazy um robert is saying uh darren lines was talking about that the other day there's a little bit of ardu pirate in the new inav which is interesting because i remember painless talking about inav and saying there's there's no VTOL in there and there's not going to be any soon um yeah i just i just don't know what's going on with that it's i'm interested to know i i've vaguely thought about making a VTOL plane out of my my evil plane, the one that crashes a lot and has sat on the wall for the last three years not flying. And I was like, oh, I could put some 
it's big and I could put some extra rotors on that have it take off but I, I will finish watching all the videos first to find out how to do it I'm hooked now trying to find out if there's a wireless trainer function I want to know Andy is saying I want that Bluetooth trainer in Edge TX working Stephen and I'm being sent lots of nice 5 channel ELS PDMA receivers but currently the only way to do it if I recall is to use the CRFS breakout board there was some crazy who was using the uh, backpack on his EORS module to pair with his Bluetooth headset. I read about that, and he's like sending it back into the radio to go through the mixer and then get sent back out once again to the module. It's absolutely bananas, but uh, yeah, probably best not looked at too closely. It's a shame because the OpenTX updates have, have all but stopped at this point. It's, um, it's not really seeing anything. I think the last one was May. And uh, I think the project's basically in maintenance mode, from what I can see. So what, OpenTX winds down and HTX basically takes over? Yeah. Well, they were saying that the colour screens and stuff would come to OpenTX. I don't know if they'd ever actually made it into OpenTX at this point, uh, touchscreen support and stuff. I'm not sure. I don't think so. I know they were talking about it. We're almost at the hour. Are there any other things of discussion oh, that we want to talk about? Tony wants everyone to send in amusing flight videos of any little incidents you've got up to send us your dvr it doesn't have to be fancy pop it on youtube send us a link you can put it as unlisted if you don't want to show the world uh, and we'll do a little edit in coming weeks of people's amusing videos be it gopro or dvr or cell phone of someone flying a plane into their own face whatever takes your fancy yeah Sorry. i suppose we're looking for um hang on a sec interesting crashes or things or bits happening. What's that, Jack? That is what happens when you leave a bit of solder over dangling over the edge and the old Roomba gets it. Mm. (laughs) It's what you pulled out of your plug or something. No, that's what I pulled out the goddamn Roomba. Um, You know that Roomba's out to get you? He's probably trying to collect parts to build some sort of weapon Mm -hmm. to hurt you with. Yeah. Yeah, self-replicating. I went flying today. Oh. What I happened? two batteries. I got stuck in a tree up in Hidden Valley. And Sounds like Jack's I, got a video to post for us. Yeah. Yeah. And I flew the DJI Avada a bit more. Oh, so do you feel dirty? Is your wrist yeah. cramped up? No, but like, it is good believe it or not it is actually and they gave me a go of what dji thinks is manual mode with the normal like you know two stick transmitter thing and i i preferred the grip so there you go so it wasn't fully in manual mode but it would be interesting to fly it in full manual yeah, make me. That's what I think. I think the Roomba's got it in for me. But I love that little fellow. When will the new air unit come out? Any idea, Stephen? Not a clue. Zero clues. Um, when Run can make it. Oh, the, yeah. So with DGI stuff, I'm not really holding out a lot of hope. 
I'm, what, what I'm kind of worried about is I, I don't want the FPV WTF project to accidentally burn their exploits and DGI to go away and then produce something that can't be hacked that has a really poopy OSD, which I think might be... I think DGI right now, they were just going to do the same lame OSD that they had before. So either hope I'm hoping they've gone away to actually put a proper OSD on it and not not the mess that they had before. But I'm kind of worried that they've just slowed the release to stop people cracking it and to stop anyone tampering with it, and then they'll just give us the same rubbish OSD they had. It's all about the OSD on these systems. I'm enjoying the FPV WTF stuff. I've got my custom font loaded up from uh, some dude on the forum who produced a really nice material font, beautiful icons. All right, thank you. You've been listening to Let's Drone Out. Um, massive shout out to all our patrons who keep this show running, keep it going, keep it uh, keep it impartial, so we can slag off free sky as much as we like because we are not their corporate slaves. And um, that sounded yeah. really ominous. <laughs> that sounded like yeah. they've sent a motorbike to get you. <laughs> I know. I know. The I know. FR Sky Fly Beast lands outside <laughs> Jack's HQ in Brighton proceeds to blast the door down don't tell them where i live <laughs> um yeah uh also zoe's been having a bit of sh- time so if you can um i will Stephen will post you a link so you can watch that on youtube and uh yeah you, you've been joined by everyone's favorite curry kitten goodbye in his is it a fitness shirt or is it a fixie shirt it's my iFit t-shirt for doing a hundred workouts. But I nice. decided not to wear an FPV one like Stephen did. Right. I'm, I'm here for... I've, I've got my podcast mixed up. I'll be doing my iFit podcast later. Wearing a big oh. flight t-shirt for it. Yeah. And uh, everyone's favourite moustache in the beat flight shirt, Stephen. Cheers. And yeah. I've been bright until I fly and I am so jealous of Harry's... Uh, webcam it's so <laughs> good. good and review you coming see, soon hearts if you want to see curry's webcam tune in live every week on a thursday on let's drone out youtube thank you good night <laughs> bye <laughs> telemetry lost